Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together. Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us. If you haven't already, feel free to hit the subscribe button. We have lots of subscribe buttons all around the world, but the most important is the podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast and also maybe hop over to YouTube and then Instagram and you know, while you're at it, join the Facebook group as well and, and see all of our social media, all the wonderful posts that we have in the great community that's been growing. Also, We've been finishing a fantastic series on Instagram for those of you that have not been following of the greatest Halloween books. Absolutely. I was not supposed to interrupt him, but I couldn't resist because I'm so excited about all these Halloween books. You guys have no idea. I already have such a long list for next year. It's like 60 books. I digress. We have a lot of books, a lot of books, but mostly I would like to thank the three people that pushed us over 30 uh, reviews on iTunes. And we really, really, really appreciate that. We have a new goal, stretch goal of 50 reviews. So now that we've gotten here, you know, just like a good coach, I moved the goalpost or <laughs> just at the end of the run, I said, there's two more miles. <laughs> well, hopefully we can get, uh, we hopefully can get, we, we can push the needle up a little bit more and we appreciate that time. But today yeah. we, we don't have time to waste Ariel. That's right. We have a, a long interview, but it was amazing, you guys. So it's this is with uh, Leah DeRose Wilson. She's a listener, a homeschooling mom of five, a uh, a PhD, and she works part time, and she's raising her kiddos, and she has so much going on. And lots of going on. I, mean, I felt like cult. I should just hand have- her the microphone and be like, <laughs> "The podcast is yours," because she had so much amazing information it was that amazing. I couldn't. It's a long interview, but we promise that it is it's well worth the wait. Really worth it. There's just so much to take away from from her experience uh, with her family. Uh, we absolutely loved having her and to see how she balances not only having five children but also maintaining her career. And her husband also yep. ha- has a career. And you know how do they juggle this all and and maintain? We touch, time? we touch everything. We touch uh, all know, her it. homeschool life. The fact that she was a homeschooled. A kid her yes, as well. Yes, that was awesome too. Yeah. You know, she being a K through twelve homeschooler herself, and then raising her family and homeschooling her kids, and she talks all about all the curriculum that she uses. And I mean, it just there was way too much here, guys. She was lovely. I think you're all gonna really dig this interview with Leah. Absolutely. Hi, Leah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hello. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and what drew you all to homeschooling? Um, Sure. So I have five kids, and my oldest is 10, and she's just starting middle school, and my littlest is one. So we sort of have the whole elementary range in our family. Homeschooling has always been on my radar because I was homeschooled from kindergarten all the way through high school graduation. And um, when we had our oldest, we sent her to a part-time preschool because I was working full-time and my husband was in graduate school still. And she did that for 
till she was like four and a half or so. At that point, we were looking into kindergarten options. We lived in Fort Collins, Colorado at the time. And it, it was one of those environments where if you wanted, you could, in Colorado, you can choice into different kindergartens. So you don't just go to your district kindergarten. Hmm. And if you want to get on the list for choicing into a particular kindergarten, you sort of have to pre-plan that for before you're pregnant with your baby type thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, of course, I realized this when my kid's four and a half and I start to think about kindergarten. And um, Frances is a very precocious kid. She was reading Charlotte's Web and she was doing probably third grade level math and we couldn't find a good kindergarten fit for her. It might have existed, but we were not on the ball enough to have gotten her on the list. And so we just started homeschooling. And then once we started, really the only reason we weren't going to is because I was working full time and my husband was still in graduate school and it just seemed like a lot to take on. Once we began, um, we realized that it was actually fine and we could set our own schedule and it didn't take that much time to do, you know, kindergarten, first grade, especially with our oldest, who was very precocious and did not need a whole lot from us in terms of teaching and curriculum and that sort of thing when she was little. Um, that's changed a little bit over the years, but when she was, you know, those first few years when we were just getting started, it was like very easy, <laughs> you know, just with the kid that we had. And because you, and because you had the one that you went right into homeschooling, that was just a natural pull for every other one of your kids after that? Well, so my oldest two are 15 months apart. My second is not a good fit for a public school classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, He is a very physical kid. He probably has ADHD or something like that. He, um, he, so he's eight. He -hmm. recently has gotten to the point where he can physically sit in a chair for a short period of time. (laughs) Some of the time when he was kindergarten age, when he would have been starting kindergarten, he would just constantly fall off furniture because he was so, um, just like physically in a space, he was just thumping around. I don't know. You've probably seen kids who do this. They just don't have very good body awareness <laughs> and they're just, you know, they can't sit and they're dropping their pencil and they can't remember, you know, they get up to do one thing. And next thing you know, they're outside playing because they forgot they were going to get their math textbook. Yeah. He's that kid. And he's still that kid. He's eight now. So like it has improved, but um, he's a kid who would be very unsuccessful in a classroom. And he's very academically successful in our homeschool hmm. because he's, he's very quick. So he will, he picks up stuff extremely quickly. He doesn't hmm. need a lot of practice. He has a great memory, but he's not a kid who can sit for very long. Yeah. He, plays every sport. He dances ballet. He dances modern. He dances hip hop. He plays hockey and football and soccer. And like, he does all the physical things. He does musical theater. Um, He is a kid who needs to be in motion at all times. And those kids, especially boys, sometimes really struggle in a classroom. So it was obvious from 
early on that he was not going to be super successful in a classroom. So mm-hmm. um, since we were already homeschooling my oldest, who is an easy kid to homeschool because she just like is very academic, but she would have also been fine in a classroom. She would have been successful. She would have been like straight A student. You know, it would mm-hmm. have been fine. Um, my son would have been, he would have struggled. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he's eight, he's third grade now. Um, and does very well in a homeschool environment where he can, you know, be very physical while he's doing his work. (laughs) (laughs) And then at that point, you know, I had two in school, homeschooling, and there was, there wasn't a lot of reason to send my third to public school. Um, He, again, I think would have been totally fine in a public school classroom. Mm -hmm. He has a stutter. And so that can sometimes be a challenge, but actually, I think that would have been a challenge when he was like four, he's six and a half now. And I think he would be fine now in like a first grade classroom. I think people would understand him fine, but um, it took him a little bit, a little bit of time (laughs) to get there. And then my fourth is four. She'll be five in December. And um, she is like my first, she's like very academically precocious and wants to do a lot of school that she does not need to be doing. Um, she's my one who's like, we have to do more school all the time. I'm like, you're four. You're already reading. You already finished first grade math. You could just go play. But um, <laughs> she's not always in into that idea. <laughs> no, no, I understand. My, my oldest negotiates up on the number of math pages she has to do. Right. But, but no, tries to negotiate down the number of reading. Pages. <laughs> she knows what she likes. Trade math for reading. <laughs> right. She's like, she said, mom, I love homeschool, but is there a school where I could go and only do math? And I said, oh, my little engineer. <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> Just wait. <laughs> right. Not in first grade or kindergarten, but soon. <laughs> Someday. Yeah. And then you have a you have basically a one year old as well. Then I have a baby. I have a baby. Yeah. Yes. Wow. And then she we- is just delightful and very happy <laughs> and just likes to run around and pick up sticks and rocks and leaves and eat snacks and just be cute so oh so she hasn't hit the chaos stage yet we have a we have a chaos stage here no she she hasn't i'm hoping she doesn't i'll think good thoughts for you <laughs> i had three who did not hit the chaos stage and then one who made up for all the others with the chaos <laughs> like you know that one and a half to like three-year-old stage where they're just like taking apart your house yeah I, I had one who just like did it for all of them. Um, I'm hoping this baby is is not that. We'll see. <laughs> so far, she's been very easy. So that's been fun. So managing all these children, um, you know, have you, do you have a, uh, you know, you were talking about your son being very active. Then you had your, your other child that has kind of a stutter. Have you been able to choose curriculums that match each child? Or do you have one curriculum that you use across all of them? You know, what's your thinking around your, you know, your educational philosophy? Yeah. So um, one of my big reasons for doing homeschool with my kids was to try and meet their really specific needs. Like for my oldest, having an academic environment that she would thrive in, that she would have to do some work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes kids who are academically pre- precocious, they will, you know, 
everything comes easy, right? Until you get to a point. And so sometimes they, everything is easy and then they get to a point where something is a little bit hard, often math, but sometimes something else. And so then they decide they hate that thing because they don't want to do the work. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't want that to happen. I wanted her to be little and experience having to put in work to do something well. And so I wanted her to have a lot of free time, not like extra school, but school at a level that she sometimes would have to work like right from the start. Um, and so that was one of our big reasons for homeschooling was so she could have an academic challenge. And so my son could have an environment where he wasn't constantly in trouble because he couldn't sit still and could you know, be successful doing stuff, even if he couldn't sit while he did the stuff. Mm -hmm. And so because of this, I have, unfortunately for me, <laughs> had to use a lot of different curriculum, just different things to meet different needs for different kids. I think the one thing all my kids have done now, I've kid number four is doing is right start math. I think that's the only thing that has been consistent. My oldest has completed it and my four-year-old is in book B. Um, and wow. so we, and my third grader is in E and my mm -hmm. six-year-old is in C. So like we, we've done, the, and my oldest is um, on to doing algebra this year. So <laughs> she completed the whole, the whole set. So we've liked Right Start a lot. I think it's one of those math curriculum that can work for almost any kid. Mm -hmm. which is yeah, really like nice yeah, we, we're almost through the first level as well with our daughter so okay it's been, it's been a great experience you actually uh you benefited from buying the <laughs> the whole the whole thing because you got to run it through a bunch of kids right those manipulatives yes. paid off and yes it, it, and it i actually have i actually have two full sets of manipulatives at this point because i figured friend. you'd have to yes yeah. <laughs> we have so many in it and some people don't like other people to touch their things and some people are perfectly happy to share some people are very organized with their space and other people sort of throw their math tools in the general direction of the math cart when we're finished and we're so, gonna have to talk about a right start math manipulative storage when we're done because oh, i'm telling you what there are well, some pieces i'm happy to share what we do so my one-year-old one of her most favorite activities is unpacking the right start math card all the pieces just put, and I let her do it because it occupies her for a long time um, but it does mean our math card's not very organized you know <laughs> it's a little bit of a disaster yeah yeah we, we used to let our oldest when she was really young um, we called it spice shopping we had these two slide out uh, cabinets in our kitchen she would pull all our spices out but she would carefully arrange them in order you know, and, nice. and we just let her do it because, well, she's occupied and she's not breaking. That's she, how I am with the math card. I'm like, yeah. I know where you are. There's nothing you can really damage or break. Like, it's fine. Just take all the things, put them on the floor, put them back in the cart, rearrange them. It's good. <laughs> as, long, so, as long as it stays in the cart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it stays like in the cart or beside the cart. And then when we're done school, my son will pack it all up and put it, it used to be like really nicely organized. Now it's just sort of like, you know, the cards are sort of in a heap here and, you know, the tiles are <laughs> over here and it's a little bit more of, you know, 
a free-for-all a little bit. <laughs> so, so you're very invested in Right Start Math. What, what yes. were the things you chose for language arts? How did, did that vary or did you have one selection there? We actually do Beast Academy as well as Right Start. All my kids have done Beast Academy. Some have done it very quickly. Some have done all of it, like the books and online and all of it very quickly. Others do it as more like math enrichment and mm -hmm. um, only do parts of it. It just sort of depends. Um, on, I don't require them to do all of Beast Academy, but it was really fun for my oldest. And so my others were like, oh, Beast Academy is great because they saw how much she loved it. Mm -hmm. And so even when they struggle, maybe more than she did with it, um, they still like it and enjoy it. And, you know, it's sort of a, a fun activity. Um, language arts. So I don't know if you guys are familiar with the curriculum moving beyond the page. We've heard lots of good things about we that. I, well. I used to listen to uh, old podcasts that's not around anymore, um, the Savvy Homeschool Moms, and they always talked about moving beyond the page. And I always thought, oh, that, that looks really cool because it's a we love literature based stuff in yeah. our yeah, house. So, so it's lit based. It's unit studies. It um, is intended for a kid who can read and write very proficiently and very quickly. So if you have that kid who can read a novel and write, you know, a research paper and a five paragraph essay and um, an interview and a bunch of other things and loves it and can do it quickly, it's perfect for that kid. So my oldest has done a lot of moving beyond the page. I usually am a little bit, so it's an older curriculum and they're not good about updating it as far as um, new, more up-to-date, more modern novels. They have a lot of novels that we read when we were kids that when mm -hmm. you reread, they hit a little different, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's like, really? Yep. We're still reading this. Uh, there's probably something better we could be reading. So yeah. I'm a little picky about what we we usually don't do all the novels. Some are really good. And they do have some, especially in the older levels, they have some newer novels. But they're definitely novels that you can skip. So we skip some of the novels. We skip some of the social studies. It depends. Some of the social studies is really good. Some of it hasn't aged well or doesn't fit a less Eurocentric view of history mm -hmm. and focus. And some of it is fine alongside something else, but maybe wouldn't be all you would want to do. Mm -hmm. um, so my oldest has done a lot of moving beyond the page because she does a lot of curriculum. She likes to write. She likes to read. She likes to be really independent. So she can take these unit studies and she can read the novel and she can produce it's um they do a lot of hands-on projects and so a lot of times you're like putting together some sort of event or show or something around the unit that you're doing and she loves that hmm. so you know there'll be some sort of book or newspaper you've written along with um some sort of party or showcase or theater piece or whatever so she's done a lot of that I also use these unit studies from um, I really like them they're from the College of William and Mary their center for gifted education they have a bunch they start in like first second grade um, all my 
kids have done the first and second grade ones. And then after that, I've sort of been a little more picky about which ones we do just because we don't have time to do everything with the older kids. Um, but they have a whole bunch of literature unit studies that sort of focus on not a book specifically, but like an idea like change or uh, systems. And so they're sort of discussed language as a system. And they're fun because they have a lot of tie-ins to history and you get to learn about, you know, the clay tablets and the original sort of the evolution and history of writing, or um, there's a whole section on poetry that my kids really liked where you make all this light up poetry where you use all these paper circuits to light up your poetry, which if you have mm. a kid who's not super into poetry, they're still super into lighting up their poetry. <laughs> <laughs> so we've liked that um, because they're really hands-on. Uh, they provide more depth. The literature they suggest is often um, stuff that we wouldn't otherwise just run across at the library. So my kids have done those. We've also done some Michael Clay Thompson for grammar. One of my kids, my six-year-old, did Logic of English. He's my only one that I did like a reading curriculum at all with. I thought I was going to have to do more, but then he just sort of learned to read at some point. Um, he sort of struggled with language and with a fine motor delay. And between the stutter and the fine motor delay, he needed like the preschool kindergarten stuff that with my older two I didn't have to worry about he needed more of that and so okay. we did a little of that with logic of English that I had sort of just not worried about with my older two because by four and a half they were like reading novels and I was like great I don't have to teach you how to read <laughs> and then with my third I was like I have to kind of learn how to teach you how to read and so how, you, so, you know as a sticking point there you know you, you didn't have to do that on the first two it kind of came I just kind of said it kind of came mm -hmm. easy, easy there. How was that a transition for you as an educator having to dip into that? I found teaching English one of the most frustrating things ever in the, not at, because of my child, you know, learning the language, but just how frustrating the language actually is. And I, I need to write a book on how I want to change the language. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 I yell at Ariel all the time. This language is so weird. Why are there four <laughs> sounds for why? Why? <laughs> So this, this goes back to my history of homeschooling. People always ask me, like, what did you miss being homeschooled? And it's like, well, I still don't know the Pledge of Allegiance, which everybody else knows. But if you don't go to school yeah. and your parents don't happen to think it's important, you just don't learn it. And then you just never know it. And that's that. And so, like, I just don't know it. Um, and the other thing that I never learned was how to spell. And I never learned how to spell because... My parents didn't really teach phonics. I don't know. They didn't need to, or they just didn't. And so I have three graduate degrees. I have two masters. I have a PhD. I still could not spell until I taught my third kid phonics with logic of English. And I was like, oh, there's like all these rules about it. And it's not just like completely haphazard and you can learn the rules and then you know how to spell words. It's just magical. So I was very excited about that. So I actually really enjoyed it because I was like, wow, this is a whole system I didn't know about. Well, don't, don't feel bad. Even I went public school K through 12 and as a senior in high school it was the first time that I ever learned 
like grammar, like sentence diagramming and all that, like verb <laughs> and pronoun. I was like, what are these words? Yeah, like, like public school this? education did not <laughs> yeah, teach it to me yeah. until I ended up in okay. AP English. Yeah. So just so you know. I mean, spell check was my friend for years yeah. because I was <laughs> I was terrible at spelling. Like just terrible. And so I'm not like gonna win a spelling bee now, but I do understand the rules and and the logic of how not all of our some of our English words are like borrowed and have a really interesting history that lends to interesting spelling but one of the things I did when I taught my third kid actual phonics when we were learning to read with logic of English is I went back and I got the all about spelling curriculum and I did it with my two oldest kids because I was like you guys have to learn this magical phonics thing now even though you can (laughs) read We're going to learn it now, not when you're like 35. So (laughs) we went back and we did the all about spelling together and all learned the phonics rules and um, they didn't seem to mind and they became better spellers. So I think it was helpful. (laughs) I know, you know, that can be, that can be sort of frustrating. I, I, I think I eternally thank my Spanish class in ninth grade for teaching me grammar. But, uh, <laughs> yes, that's another way you definitely like learn grammar, right? Is you, when you ha- learn a language. Have you done additional languages? Have you dipped into that? Yeah. So my my dad grew up in Colombia, and my parents mm-hmm. are both fluent Spanish speakers. And um, I did not come out of my household being a fluent Spanish speaker. But when I was sixteen, I went to Spain for three months, and became a much better Spanish speaker. I don't have an opportunity to practice it super regularly now. So my Spanish is rusty, but like functional. So we do at our house Spanish lunchtime, where at lunchtime you speak Spanish. It's like 30 minutes. You know, the kids have to ask for stuff in Spanish. I have all these little sheets up on the wall with phrases and words so they can read them if they need to be reminded how to ask for something. Um, my kids, like they can have the most basic of conversations in Spanish. They can ask for stuff in Spanish. Um, I would not say they're like even functional Spanish speakers at this point, but they're okay. They can read like a first at a first grade level in Spanish. Um, they can say hi, they can say their name, they can ask for stuff. They can ask where stuff is, you know, the basic stuff. Um, and they can talk a lot about food because we do this at lunchtime. (laughs) (laughs) Well, really that's what they're going to need on their travels most anyway. I know. Like I I figured they'll be fine if they can (laughs) ask where the food is and what's in different food items and it's, it's fine. My six-year-old last year decided he wanted to learn Mandarin. I was like, that's great. I don't know any Mandarin nor anybody who speaks any Mandarin. And so he did a lot of classes on varsity tutors which is like an online Mm -hmm. tutoring but also class platform and he learned a lot of mandarin and he can jabber on in mandarin and i have no idea what he's saying but he really enjoyed it and so he's has speaks a little bit of mandarin that's awesome (laughs) um and then my oldest is taking french currently and she can read it more than speak it but we'll see so other than spanish lunch you know, what does the rest of your day look like with five children? How, <laughs> how much time are you spending, you know, educating each kid? You got the two that, that you got the two kids who, you know, are, you know, running ahead. 
but you know, what does that look like on a day? Like, how do you move between them? You know, how much time do you spend with each kid? How much time is each kid spending, you know, in the education process? Good question. So my older two do a four day school week. And then one day they have a full day enrichment drop off. So in Colorado, the public schools have a system called options where one day a week, you can sign up for an options program that's all homeschool kids. It's at a separate homeschool academy and you can pick different ones. There's like musical theater ones. There's completely outdoor ones where the kids snowshoe and mountain bike and learn archery. There are um, space science ones. There's art ones like visual arts, a bunch of different options. So my two oldest kids do a four-day school week and then one day a week, and it's a different day. One goes Monday, one goes Friday. They do their enrichment program. They're both doing outdoor programs this year because of COVID. I made them do outdoor. So they go and mountain bike and hike and shoot arrows and do whatever, and I just drop them <laughs> off and pick them up, and they're gone all day. And so they have that one day a week and then we do school like our academics four days and it's a different four days because well they overlap the middle three days of the week but one goes Monday to Thursday homeschool the other Tuesday through Friday homeschool and then my two little ones who are in kindergarten first grade um, my first grader is doing a musical theater program on Monday and then Wednesday, he has an outdoor nature program. And my kindergartner, Monday, has an outdoor nature program. And on Wednesday, she goes with my six-year-old and they do it together. And it's just a half day. So Mondays, I have just my eight-year-old and my baby. Hmm. And so on Monday, my eight-year-old does a lot of dance And he does a lot of his schoolwork. Usually he'll get done maybe three math lessons. Usually he will do all his science on Monday for like the whole week. Mm -hmm. Um, He's very into history. And so usually, usually I create a class for him for his history on Google Classroom. So I teach. And so I already have classes on Google Classroom. So if there's something my kids are like self-motivated on, I make it a class and I put it on Google Classroom. And then I just put it in their planner and they do it. And then I get the assignments just like if they were a student in my one of my classes I actually teach. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? So mm-hmm. you so you take the curriculum and say, okay, this is what you need to finish and make yes. an assignment in so Google like, Classroom? So like he's doing American history this year and he's watching Hamilton and he's what he's reading all these historical fiction novels and he's doing like this whole revolutionary war spy thing and I've <laughs> combined it all and made it into this like musical theater spy class wow. and he does the assignments and he turn he you know he turns them in on Google Classroom exactly as if he were a student in in my class are you so, using a curriculum as a base for that or um no, not for that. I'm, I'm using pieces of a book list. Um, the, the book list that Emily from Build Your Library created for history. I pulled a mm-hmm. bunch of resources for that and then paired it up with 
Hamilton. And um, there's this series, history series that where you like read the book, it's a historical fiction book. And then there's these, it comes with like a sealed envelope of spy tools. And then you try to solve the mystery in there. So I've put those books in with several historical fiction novels. Those sound cool. What, do you know what the, what the series is called? What is it called? I can picture the cover. I can send it to you later. Yeah. Okay, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll put it in the show. Uh, yeah, that I'll just send, sounds I'll really cool. It <laughs> it's fun, and um, and it's it's like it's right like third to fifth grade level, mm-hmm. and so he's doing that for history. He does all his science Monday. We usually do most of our math on Monday, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, he you know he'll do some school, but he also does a lot of playing. And then Thursday, we have a co-op. So Thursday morning, all my kids are at co-op. We don't do school. Thursday afternoon, my big kids do school. So my two little ones, the kindergarten and first grader, end up doing homeschool stuff, not like their nature class or co-op or their musical theater class three times a week. And, you know, they do Right Start. Right now, we're doing Blossom and Root first grade Mm -hmm. with I'm doing that with both of them and then my son who is six is also doing the center for gifted education William and Mary curriculum that's called there's two of them right now we're just finishing up a world of wild and wacky and wonderful words and then we'll do beyond words we'll start after the holidays so I have him doing a little bit extra more than my four-year-old because he can do a little bit more than she can. And we just do that three days a week. And I would say it takes me a total of maybe an hour and a half with both of them. And we usually do it together. And my son plays piano, my six-year-old plays piano. So first thing in the morning, when school starts at 830, he plays piano from like 830 to nine, he does his piano lesson, he does his practice. Then my two little ones go and play. And I won't see them again until like 11 when I call them in and we do about an hour of school before lunch. My older two start at 830 and they start with math. And then after math, they do language arts. And then depending on the day, two days they do math or science. Two days they'll do their social studies after that. What are you using for uh, science and social studies with them? So my, I, my PhD is in science. I teach okay. science for my work. Um, so you work too. I, I feel I feel like there's going to be a test on this. I needed to be taking I'm notes. I'm, I'm I'm laughing because everybody listening right now is laughing too. Um, so how many? I I'm, I'm I get up count at, how many plates you juggle. So I get it's up, all spinning. I get up at like four fifteen and I teach. I'm just teaching online right now. Until this year, I was teaching in an after-school program as well as online. But with with COVID and our baby, the after-school program was too much to do in person. So I'm I teach one day a week in person just for our co-op. I don't do anything else in person. But I'm teaching AP Bio, um, so I get up at like four fifteen and I teach. Oh my gosh. I'm not allowed to complain anymore. Eris yeah, you're not, say, you bum. Just say, oh yeah, you think you got it hard. You should listen to Leah. Oh my God. So I, I, I teach and it's 
it's nearly all asynchronous, but two days a week at one, I have like one hour where I'm actually meeting with students in real time. Okay. And so like my kids need to not be in the video frame, right? Like they can be to the side, but I have to pretend like I'm a professional person for just like <laughs> an hour. Um, so we have sort of two days a week, we have like this hard stop at one. So Monday and mm -hmm. Wednesday, Monday, it's fine because I just have the baby. She's asleep. And my son, who is always, you know, off doing whatever by that point. But we usually, everyone except my oldest is usually completely done at one o'clock because that's when I need to, wow. even on days I don't have an in-person class, then I have like grading and work that I need to do. So four days a week, my kids, my two oldest work from about, I would say, 8.30 to 1, including lunch on school. And they will just, they'll do math, they'll do their language arts, they'll take a 15-minute break, and they'll come back for science or social studies, whichever we're doing. Uh -huh. um, my son usually does all his science on Monday, so he usually doesn't have any science his, his next day. He just has a short school day. What are you using for science? So I use a lot of things for science. A lot of what I use is my own curriculum mm -hmm. um, that I, so before I had the AP bio job that I currently have, I created curriculum for a gifted and talented program in the school district. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of, it's all unit studies. So I have a lot of curriculum that is mine that I use. I don't sell it. It's not available. <laughs> it's just mine. So that's a lot of what I use, but um, we have also used the Building Foundations of Science, um, Nebel's curriculum, Bernard Nebel's mm -hmm. curriculum. We've used book one and my older two have done all of book two. Um, my kids do a lot of science. I would say, I, I think we probably do We've probably covered all elementary science multiple times at this point, mm -hmm. and um, we are beginning to get into some more middle school science, but often I just let them do what they want for science because they are okay. very steeped in science, and so I don't, once in a while, there'll be a specific thing that usually what happens is there's a specific unit that I am going to teach or I'm going to provide for someone else and I need guinea pigs for it. <laughs> and so my kids are my, my guinea pigs for that science curriculum. Oh. Or sometimes I am reviewing a science curriculum for someone else. Like I reviewed science curriculum that Beast Academy is coming out with. So I made my kids do it all over the summer. They did all the Beast Academy science because I was reviewing it and I needed some kids to test it on. So often science is that. Um, right now, my oldest is reviewing a curriculum for open ed science. So she's doing all these middle school science units because I'm reviewing them and she's my guinea pig. So that's, I don't recommend necessarily people do science the way we do it because we do it a, a really specific way. But the um, Center for Gifted Education at William & Mary, they have science units. They are all mm -hmm. excellent. I've used many of them in teaching. And the Building Foundations of Scientific Understanding is also really good. 
it does require a somebody with some science background to teach it. Okay. Yeah, we have the first book. We intended to intend to use it yeah, at do. some point. Um, and we looked at it and we're like, oh, a non a non-STEM person is supposed to be able to do this. I don't think yeah, so. it's yeah, it's very good. It does, I think um it's it's intimidating if you're not used to teaching science and it's just, mm-hmm. it's set up for somebody who is a science teacher to teach it. That's how it was written. It was intended mm-hmm. for that person. And so uh, for that reason, I don't, I often don't recommend it, um, even though I think it is really excellent. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I use a, a very odd mix with science, but mostly it has to do, like, like I said, mostly it has to do with the fact that um, I create a lot of science curriculum. I review a lot of science curriculum. I often need children to try out science curriculum <laughs> and I'm like oh look I have a third grader right here we're gonna do this for science um, my kids do do some moving beyond the page science units I usually let them okay. pick like I, I'm like okay like these are the ones that are available that are sort of in your level do you want to pick any of these and sometimes they will and sometimes they won't um, I, I I have a quick question. I have, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure where to start. <laughs> the, uh, I'm I'm going to try and serve as a proxy for the listeners. But uh, so something that I'm I'm just continuously keying in on what you're talking about here is that you have your learners doing all one subject in one day, like you said. Um, my, so my, my son my, is yeah. is the only one who does that. Okay. Okay. Um, and he has so yeah, maybe talk talk about the differences there because i'm i'm you know i'm a layman i'm an uneducated amateur on this um i try to do a little bit of math and reading every day because i see retention problems if i skip a few days so we generally do with my one one kid who I, so i have four kids who read well and only one of them have I actually like sat down daily and did reading Mm -hmm. and the kid I did that with it really and truly was like six days a week okay we sat down and we did lessons and practice and phonics work and sometimes it would just be like games sometimes we would be like walking to the library and we would play a rhyming game with whatever sound we were working on okay um and he was in speech for a long time. So there was a lot of extra work with sounds um, with that particular kid. So maybe it was more practice than some kids would need. He did need that sort of practice. With math, we do it three days a week. And mm. I find that that's plenty for him. I think if I had a kid who was struggling in math, the very first thing I would do is do it more often. Mm-hmm. My oldest does math five days a week. Okay. Um, even on her day, she does her enrichment. She does math before she goes to school. I don't know why, but this is what she does. Um, <laughs> is, that part, is that part of a curriculum or is that like a morning basket that she just does a couple pages of math or is it a regular scheduled thing that you're planning? So no, she like gets up and she gets mm-hmm. out her math and does it. Okay. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Are you ready for school? And she's like, yes, I'm just doing my math. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, So I I do not require it in any way, shape or form that she, she does. I I don't require her to do any math. She's 
technically a fourth grader because she has a fall birthday. She just turned 10. She's doing algebra. I don't require her to do any math. I'm just like, that's lovely. Let me check it and see if you're confused. And then, you know, she goes. So she's my only kid who does math five days a week. My son, who is eight, he does math. He does four right start lessons, and then he does Mm -hmm. as much or as little Beast Academy as he wants. Mm. Um, What that looks like is that he's in third grade, and he's about halfway through the fourth grade right start book, and Mm. he's about halfway through the third grade Beast Academy level. So he does plenty of math. Um, He very often will do three or four of he typically does three or four beast academy lessons when he sits down to do beast academy and then he won't do it again for several days and with right start he almost always does two lessons on monday often he'll do three on monday and then like one thursday afternoon or something Hmm. as long as he does four a week i don't care when he does it so you're giving him a little bit of a quota say hey this is what i want you to get done by the end of the week and they can decide what days they want to get that done so a little bit more uh, autonomy and and how they divide their time so yes um and my oldest honestly she has the same she has the same leeway like she can she if she wanted to do all her school in two days she could um she always divides it up very evenly and does like you know exactly this amount usually everything but math she does four days And then, but if she feels like she didn't get something done that she should have, she'll do it on the weekend without me even mentioning it. Or if she doesn't want to do something on Monday because she has other plans, she'll do it. She'll like Sunday afternoon, she'll be doing it all on her own. Um, She doesn't like to do it. She doesn't like to do it in a big chunk and then take time off during the week. She's a very routine oriented person. She likes Mm -hmm. this if she could have every day be exactly the same, she probably would. So she tries to do as close to that as she can. My son who's third grade, he likes to take days off. He likes to have extra time for chess or sports or just playing. So very often he'll try and get as much done as he can on Monday. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, he'll sort of slack off. And then he has his enrichment program where he's gone all day Friday so then Thursday he'll like look at his planner and be like okay as soon as I get home from co-op I need to do these things and then he'll knock it out Hmm. so you know you definitely have a a very not just a busy schedule but a very complex schedule how do you manage you know your kids understanding your expectations and understanding the time constraints you know like uh, you, you know you have to be here this day so we have to get this done this day I I would feel frazzled, I think, with that kind of schedule. How do they, how do you juggle that for them? How is it not overwhelming for them and instead? Um, and you. And, and well, you, but, right? but, but you're, you're striking that balance, right? Between like having enough of the things that, that make them happy and are enriching, but not yeah. being overwhelming. Like, how do you strike the balance? So I would say that our, our, we have some kids who, love to do all the things and would do way more than we do and we have other kids who enjoy doing things but really like to to be at home 
and to like have a really good routine and do the same thing every day and not leave the house as much as we do. So with five kids, there's just, there's, there's always going to be some, some give and take. There's going to be sometimes where I say you cannot do a fifth sport because I just cannot <laughs> fit it in the schedule. Yeah. You you're dancing three nights a week. You cannot dance any more nights a week. So there's, there's that. And then there's other times where I'm saying to someone else, like, I know that you don't like people or want to see any kids, but other people in our family want to go to co-op and see friends. So you can bring a book, but we're going. And so that balance is not always perfect. I don't want to give the impression that like everybody is happy with where we end up all the time. That isn't true. There are some kids who wish we did more things and some kids who wish we did less things. I am not doing this all on my own. My husband does a lot of driving people to things. And so a lot of times what is happening is my husband is taking this kid here and that kid there. And I am home with, you know, a napping baby and a first grader and we're doing right start math for 15 minutes. And then I'm saying, go outside and play. I have some work to get done. And it's, it's happening like that. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not solo parenting. My husband's a very involved parent, even though like most of the academic school falls to me, he's very involved with um, taking kids to their things and um, in the morning, I work until about 730. And then I take our dog and I leave and I come back at 830. And when I come in the house at 830, the kids are dressed, they've had breakfast, and they're on their first school subjects. And the only thing I have to do to make that happen is I just put it in the planner. So I have a planner, I put it in the planner, the kids my older kids will check for themselves. My husband will check to see like who's supposed to be doing what and they will do their work. So when I come in at 830, they're like, they're started. The day has started a little bit. Um, How much time do you spend on this uh, hallowed document called the planner? (laughs) (laughs) So in the summer, I usually sketch out for each of my kids, like the big plan for the school year, whatever it is, our, our big things, we our big learning goals, the things I want them to do, the things they want to do, their priorities, all their extracurricular stuff that they want to do, their dance, their sports, their other classes. Um, so we sort of, in the summer, I sketch out that sort of plan. And how much time does that take me? Hmm. I don't know. I work on it just like in bits and pieces. Okay. You know, a few hours a week over most of the summer to like get something that I feel like is going to work. And into that document goes like my teaching schedule, my husband's mm-hmm. teaching schedule, like when we have childcare, when I'm, we do a, like a childcare swap. So sometimes I'm watching other people's kids, sometimes my kids are going somewhere else it's complicated. So it all goes into there. Right. Hmm. Um, And then each week 
on the weekend, I spend probably two, two and a half hours just making sure that everything that's supposed to happen is going to happen. Like mm-hmm. that I know where all the kids are <laughs> um, and that I know anything that's on my husband's schedule and I have like anything that I need to get done has a home and a spot and a plan. And then during the week, it's just like we do the, the things that are on the schedule. So do you use a paper planner or some other program? I do. I use a, I use just a, a plain old paper planner. And then my two big kids also have their own planners that they will copy from my planner what they need to do so they know what things they need to get done. And they can sort of have a little more autonomy with that. So, yeah, I mean, it. It, it seems probably more complicated than it is. Um, a lot of it is just making sure that kids who need downtime have an opportunity for some downtime during the week. And kids mm-hmm. who want to do a lot of stuff are getting to do as much stuff as is reasonable for them to do. You know, I don't like to say no unless I have to for the different things they want to do. Well, you know, it sounds like this is, as Ariel said, very complex, very dynamic, but let's ignore the progeny. Let's talk about the source. <laughs> you were homeschooled. Yes. And now you're a homeschool, like, I don't know, you're like God tier homeschool mom. I know. I feel um, unqualified to host my own podcast. I know. Like, <laughs> I feel like we're, we are not, we have seated authority. I'm not qualified. We have a seated authority to the woman in our eardrums. <laughs> well, you know what? Uh, I mean, I think that the one of the great things about homeschool is like everybody's is going to look really different, right? Yeah, sure, absolutely. You know, so that's why I, I love I love these, right? Because yeah, everybody's do does look different. different. So yeah. that's one of the things I really want to understand. You have a history of being homeschooled, and now you're homeschooling. How does your your homeschool now differ from the homeschool of your childhood, and what kind of like? preconceived notions did you have before you came in about what it was going to be like like hey i've been here i've already done this for you know most of my life mm-hmm. how so, did it change so I'm, I'm pretty sure my mom won't listen to this so this we'll just assume <laughs> she's not gonna listen so i grew up in a on a very large dairy farm in the middle of nowhere we were the only non-amish people on our street besides our grandparents everybody else in our entire area was Amish the school system was horrendous Mm -hmm. Um, you would be on the bus for two hours just to get to school because it's a very rural area and the school was not providing a college prep education for anybody so my parents homeschooled one so we could work on the farm Two, because the school system was terrible. Um, it was a very isolated environment. A, not, not the homeschool specific part of our life, but a lot of the decisions that I have made for my kids have been, I don't want them to have the childhood I did. <laughs> uh, not, not specifically the homeschool part, but... Um, I didn't want them to be as isolated. I didn't want them to have to do as much work as I did as a kid. I mean, I worked a lot of hours on that. Farm. 
<laughs> and I wanted them to be able to um, do sports if they wanted, do musical theater if they wanted. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted them to have academic opportunities. I did not have academic opportunities as a kid for the most part. Um, you know, like I'm glad I was homeschooled because I think our public school system was worse, but there was not an opportunity to be academically challenged, for instance, Hmm. in the homeschool I grew up in. And a lot of it was sort of, I think that onschooling can be very good. And sometimes I describe part of what we do is onschooling because like my oldest chooses all her own resources and curriculum and whatever. But we were sort of unschooled in the way that is sometimes not so great, which is basically like my kid is doing a lot of work on the farm and I'm going to call that unschooling. (laughs) (laughs) It was more of that. Um, Now, I got a very like adequate high school education. I got a full scholarship to state university, went Mm -hmm. to university, graduated in three years, went on to graduate school, like. I can't really complain from that aspect. Um, but I do feel like that would only happen for a kid who was very motivated to make it happen. And my big motivation was I wanted off that farm. I see. Like as soon as possible. Like as <laughs> soon as you could like graduate and go to college, I was g- g- gone. <laughs> and I, <laughs> so with my kids, I'm like, I, I don't want them to feel like they have to like very quickly finish high school be, so they can escape. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I think everybody makes different mistakes. Like, you know, the, the, the mistakes that my parents were trying to correct that their parents made, I'll probably make with my kids and then they'll yeah. be back to doing something different. But the things that I did take from my homeschooling was one that, you can get a very good education without going to school. There are tons of resources out there. And that is even more true now than it Mm -hmm. was when I was a student. And it was true when I was a student. Like there were a lot of great resources that I could take advantage of. I did community college classes. I did an internship. I did um, a lot of Saxon math all on my own getting the teacher manual and just like doing the work and checking the work and doing the work again. And so if you're motivated, I think um, there's just a lot of educational resources. The other thing that I really got out of being homeschooled is realizing that you could get a pretty good education in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. It didn't have to be like a six hour school day. Now, when I was a kid, I milked a lot of cows and bailed a lot of hay (laughs) in the hours that I wasn't in school. And that isn't what I want for my kids. But um, it was very clear to me that you did not need to be in school all these hours to get a good education. And so um, I think those were the two things that I sort of took from my homeschool experience of what to do. I took lots of things of sort of like what I didn't want to repeat, but the things that I wanted to do was give my kids their time. Mm -hmm. um, So they had the ability to do a lot of things with that time and also just taking advantage of a lot of the the resources sort of the atypical resources that are available for learning um so yeah so so you know i'm something maybe i'm interested really interested in is 
you know, you're, you're talking about being a dairy, dairy farmer at 12 years old. And then, <laughs> you know, at 18, you went off to college. How was that process? How did you, you know, apply for college, you know, pre-internet days, I'm assuming the, your age, but, um, you know, how did, how did that happen? How did the colleges look at you as like an applicant? So, um, was not pre-internet days. Oh, I even I mean, went, I actually technically graduated from an online high school that was an online really? high yeah. school for homeschoolers called Clonlara. It still exists today. And you, um, you know, we used to get on there with our classmates and chat on ICQ when we were in high school, all yeah, different I mean, we, homeschool students couple, all over the world. I had a couple of friends that graduated from online high school. They Did had they? them when we were in high school. Yeah. It's, yeah. Really it so just it, wasn't as like advertised yeah, we as well, but they had it when we were, it's not like they did that's not what he meant. It's not like they did the internet, but yeah. you know, that they had online schools and yeah, online so, apps and stuff they did when we were in school. Wow. So, so we did Clonlara and so you just homeschooled like you normally did, but then every semester you would send your teacher through Clonlara what you were doing and they would help you put it together to make like a transcript basically. Gotcha. And so what I did is I knew I wanted out of the farm and so when I was 14, I started working at a veterinary clinic hmm. with a local veterinarian. And at the time, I really wanted to go to vet school. Um, and so I, that was the plan. And the veterinarian that I worked for helped me a lot in terms of contacts at different schools, but also, you know, how to apply for college. And I um, took advantage of in Michigan at the time, you could do, as long as you hadn't graduated high school, you could do community college classes for free, which a lot of states still have this. Um, mm -hmm. And so I did a lot of community college for free um, nice. and I applied and got accepted and got a full ride scholarship and left. <laughs> and then once, once I got to, to undergrad, I discovered that, you know, I grew up in a pretty isolated environment and so you know the the careers that I saw is like you could be Amish <laughs> that was a no you could take over the dairy farm from your parent that was a no um you could like drive a semi-truck um you could work at the gas station <laughs> or you could be a veterinarian I was like veterinarian and so that's all I knew. And then when I went away to college, I was like, oh, there's a whole bunch of careers out here. I'm picking something else. <laughs> so how, something how, else. How was the transition from, you know, being homeschooled, quasi unschooled, living on the farm to sitting in a lecture hall, you know, at the university? How, did, how was that transition for you? How was the transition to actually taking tests? I don't, I assume maybe you weren't taking as many tests and, you know, yeah. So the very how first test I took was the ACT. Wow. And it went great. And um, I think I just happened to be a person who did fine at tests. Okay. And um, it wasn't ever, a, I, I did not, I was not even aware that people studied for stuff. <laughs> like I signed up for the ACT and like got dropped off and took the ACT. And like, like I never, I had no idea what to expect. It was, I just went in completely blind. Um, and when I got to college, I realized people were like studying for stuff. And I was like, what is this studying for stuff? I didn't know you were supposed to do this. Is this a thing? And so a lot of it I learned really on the fly. Um, 
like it was fine. It wasn't a problem um, academically. I was very prepared. I had done a lot of community college. Yeah, and I think that helped quite a bit because um, it meant that like my whole first year of college felt like review, which was good because I didn't know about studying and I was like living on my own for the first time. And mm-hmm. so I, there was a lot of other, so it's good that the academics were like, oh, I've seen this before. I think it would have been really challenging if I was like adjusting to all the things at once. But because my academics were very strong, it was fine. It was mm-hmm. totally fine, even though I was like, there were things that I was terrible at. I was not a good writer at all. Nobody had ever taught me how to write, like how to structure your writing. And so I had to learn that really on the fly. But I was a science major and the math and the actual science content were all really familiar. And so it was like, okay, I can learn this one thing. I'm just going to go to the writing center four days a week and I'm going to learn it and it's going to be fine. And I did. And it was fine. Um, I think it would be a struggle if you were like learning all the things. You know, I think that's where people get in trouble is like if you, you know, you have, you know, it's the first time you're doing the math, it's the first time you're doing the writing, it's the first time you've seen the science content that that could be a struggle. Um, Yeah, are you are you bringing testing and things into your homeschool to try to prep your kids for what that's going to be like? So in Colorado, kids have to do a test starting in third grade every other year so um my oldest did it last year and was like this is the best thing ever and then she did it two more times last year so she did the map growth test and you only have to do it once but she did it all three times that it's offered here in Colorado and then she already did it once this year and is planning to do it two more times this year even though she doesn't have to and my current third grader did it once this year. I don't think he's planning to do it any more than the required amount. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll they'll have some testing experience. Um, you know, my, my oldest is like loves that sort of thing, and so you know, she's very excited about it, and she'll probably do a lot of it. Um, my other kids, they'll probably do the required amount. We'll see if they do anything more than that. Um, <laughs> I do have them do like math assessments, like the math assessments in Right Start. I'll have them, you know, approach it like a test. Um, maybe when they're older, they'll do some test prep stuff. I'm not really sure. I think so much test prep just really, mm-hmm. it, it, it's good if you have a really specific goal that requires it, but otherwise it might be a waste of time. And so at least for my kids, you know, if it's not something they enjoy, I'm going to be like, do you have a really specific goal that requires a lot of test prep? Like if they're, you know, trying to get a specific SAT or ACT score for a specific reason, great, we'll do it. Otherwise, I'm probably not going to focus on it too much. So when you were a student at home on the farm, you know, work ethic, waking up early, you wake up early now, you work hard, you know, you go, you went to the university, you went to the writing seminar, you know, to learn how to write. You're very driven. You're very intrinsically motivated. Um, do you see that? Has that benefited you? Like maybe something in your, in your homeschool life as a, as a young student, you know, as a young person, 
did that help you? And have you brought that forward? And have you brought things forward to your children, giving them a little bit more freedom, not being so rigid, maybe working on the farm as you did? Um, but are there things that you've brought from your homeschool experience as a younger person to now as a, a mom, a mentor and a teacher? Um, yes. I, I mean, I think without a doubt that okay. um, my early life of doing a lot, a lot of work and getting up early and like knocking out your work um, and having that work ethic, but also like the ability to be like, I need to get these things done and like mm -hmm. line them up and, you know, get them done. Um, I think absolutely that benefited me in college. It benefited me in graduate school. It benefited me in my career. I had pre kids. I, you know, worked for about 15 years in a research career before I had any kids. And I think it definitely benefited me for all of those things. <laughs> as far as do I want my kids to have that same experience? No, <laughs> um, I don't. If, if I could like magically give them some sort of work ethic, I would. Mm -hmm. But I think the cost was really high. Yeah, understood. Um, and I think that the cost was really high and there's a, a risk. I have five siblings, right? So mm -hmm. yeah. I, I don't just look at my own experience and what I took from it and, and how it turned out for me. I think the cost is really high. And I think that there's a real risk of burnout and um, a lot of frustration that can come from having those sort of expectations, seeing people have those expectations. So I'm hoping that, that um, my kids, we have animals, my kids have chores. They, they have a lot of responsibility as far as their own work. Um, they have chores every week. They make their own lunches. Mm -hmm. Like they have a lot of responsibility, but not the amount that I had. And I think that's good. And I think that they probably will not have the work ethic that I had when I was 17 and was, I worked full-time through all through college. I worked full-time all through graduate school. Um, you know, it's only when I had my fourth kid that I was like, okay, I can't work full-time, have four kids homeschool. My fourth kid was a very challenging kid too. I think if she wasn't a challenging kid, it might've been fine. But that was the first time I like went to part-time work. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I saw a lot of that with my parents. My dad went to Michigan state for medical That's school. That's where I went to for okay, undergrad yeah. as well. Yeah. Okay. So you're in East Lansing too. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I saw a lot of that, like the dedication, the motivation, you know, kind of having in some respects, a single mom while my dad's off at college, you know, doing the necessary, but um, you know, seeing that work ethic, I think has, you know, it seeped into me a little bit as well. And I think maybe you're, you're finding that balance of taking what was, you know, good in your childhood and bringing that forward. I mean, I, I, I will not pretend that I'm like perfectly finding the balance, yeah. but there are pieces of it that I know that even though I can say like, oh, that benefited me in this way, you know, um, you know, we're set up in our lives in this particular way, because I, had this work ethic because I, you know, worked all these hours. Um, mm. And also there's a, a part of me that's like, I don't want my kids 
to have to work full time through college. <laughs> like I just yeah. don't, even though yeah. I think like it did give me a lot of skills and a good work ethic and the ability to, you know, get a lot of stuff done, but there's a cost. There and, is. No, I, I agree. Know. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, I did not have hobbies until I had <laughs> my fourth kid and was like 37 where I was like, oh, like Knit, knitting free time and, and, and like, <laughs> and, and like thinking about like, what things do I like to do? Yeah, right. Right. And I think that's yeah. not great. <laughs> you know, I think it's, it's better if you're like six and you're like, I want to learn Mandarin. I'm going to do exactly. it. It's you so know? funny that you say that Matt was harping on me for years, years. to get a hobby because I was so busy working and going to school <laughs> and working it, while said, going to school. I said yeah. it lovingly with lots of affection and empathy. Well, it was more a that, hobby woman. it was more that he had hobbies and he was like, well, I do my hobbies. I need you to I have, like, hobbies have a hobby. Now? And, yeah. and I finally do. I protect the space for my hobbies. I, I work. I have five kids. I homeschool. Yeah. I do all the things. But I protect the space for my hobbies <laughs> like you would not believe. I'm like, that is my time. Yeah, it's all it is not available. <laughs> I don't care what is happening. <laughs> you don't touch it. <laughs> I wanted to key in on that. Like maybe just the same dynamic of um, like maybe two questions and we'll stick on the hobby question. How mm -hmm. do you find time to be you? How do you find time to, you know, find what interests you? And I think this is an important thing. I'm in a lot of stay at home dad um, forums on Reddit. And we talk a lot about this being really focused on trying to find something to occupy your time, because especially with the, the little ones, the very young ones, it could be very monotonous. But then once you have this whole education thing, it can be very it can go in the opposite direction where it's feast and famine. And how do you, you, you've, you're kind of at a feast point of view, you know, area in your life now where you have all this stuff going on and the, mm -hmm. the time is like, you know, a, too little butter spread over too much toast. Type of thing. <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you manage that? So uh, first caveat, I've, I've only had a life outside of like work and responsibilities for maybe like three and a half years so I'm, I'm new to this like having your hobbies <laughs> and like like not just like filling all your time with like productive things how I do it now is I just put it in my planner and I treat it like it's something that I'm required to do I treat it like it's mm -hmm. a meeting that I have with my boss mm -hmm. you know it is just and it's untouchable. And that's how I do it. And like Saturday mornings and like right now, one of my kids is in a dance class Saturday mornings. So my husband has to figure out how to juggle all the kids Saturday mornings to get her to dance and the baby and the whole bit, because I'm not available because that's my time. And it's just because the, the, the thing with, with five kids and work and everything else that we have going on, uh, yeah, I have a couple rental properties. We have animals. Like if, if I did not guard it so carefully, it would just be gone. It vaporized. So every single day from 7.30 to 8.30 in the morning, it is my time. I can go get a coffee. I can meet a friend. I can take the dog for a walk. I can go hiking. I can go for a run. I can go back to bed. I can do whatever I want. It's just an hour. Like, and it's my time. And no, I, I don't exist as far as the kids and everybody else. 
I mean, it would have to be a really true emergency, not just like a fake emergency. Because, you know, there's some sort of emergency every day, like something comes up, right? You cannot (laughs) be available. And so it's just my time. And it doesn't matter if like something is undone or I had something that I was supposed to do earlier and the baby was awake and work is undone. It just sits. It sits at my desk. You know, if a kid is having some sort of tantrum, I'm just not there. I don't even see it. I'm gone. I leave. Um, And then Saturday mornings is again, like I'll go hiking with friends. Mm -hmm. I'll, I've done some half marathons that I've trained for. <laughs> like, I'm just not available and it's my time. And um, I preserve my sanity that way. Uh, mm. It's it's lovely. I highly recommend it. And I don't recommend waiting till you're like 37 to figure it out. <laughs> so. well, I, I, I'm, I'm very blessed in the same respect. Ariel kicks me out of the house and forces me to leave. And it's I, forceable. I go, eat ta- I go eat tacos and I write at Starbucks or something. Exactly. Yeah, I kick it's them out important. one night a week. And, and like, sometimes it will be like absolute mayhem at home. Often it will be like, we, we have one high needs, very dramatic child who may be screaming at the front gate. And I'm just like, I walk away. It's like, yes. you know, I'm not, e- not even, not even there. Just it's, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I wish I had done it sooner. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then the second part of that, um, I wanted to ask you, cause we, not that we did the exact same thing in the, in the least, <laughs> but, um, you know, I had a 12, 15 year career, you know, in the semiconductor software, hardware development world, tech world, uh-huh. physics, I have a physics degree, you okay. know, very, you know, very, you know, I don't know, corporate life. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and then like I, I, you know, sh- your career is, is your identity type thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then I shifted into being a stay at home dad. How did you handle that um, on your side? You know, and how did you balance that world? And was, what type of challenges did you run into? So I had a job that I actually really, really loved. It involved fun travel. I would go to the Philippines. I had colleagues in Germany. Um, I did too. I did too. Southern it Germany. was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really great. And then I had two kids 15 months apart. And my husband was a little bit he also has a PhD in a different field and he was still finishing his degree and he was stay at home dadding with our little babies. And um, what started to happen is I couldn't do what I had done before, which is like, you know, you're going to the Philippines for a meeting that's like five days long. And then you just add some extra time to, you know, do this travel thing or see this colleague or whatever. Um, I couldn't do that anymore. It just, it was not reasonable when you have two babies at home and your husband's in school, like you can't be like, I'm going snorkeling. See ya. (laughs) doesn't work. So I couldn't do that part of it anymore. And, um, I was working like 70 hours a week. I never saw my kids. And so something had to change. It just like the, a lot of the parts of work that had been fun when we didn't have kids were no longer fun. Um, I couldn't do them anymore or like the the way I had to do them was different enough that it wasn't fun. Um, And just the hours were rough. And at the time I was not really aware of what I was missing because I went back to work when my old, when my oldest was two weeks old 
And so I, I never experienced her as a baby. <laughs> I had a little more time off with my second, but again, like I was right back to work. Um, and so I didn't even necessarily knew what I was missing, but I knew I was missing something. And so my husband finished his degree when we had our third kid and he wanted the opportunity to get some sort of a job and he couldn't find anything in Fort Collins where we were living. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'll take six months off and you see if you can find something. And in the six months I had off, which is the first time I had not worked since I was like 16. The first thing I've not worked full time forever. I got a dog and <laughs> I like made friends and I was like, this is fantastic. And I was pregnant <laughs> with my third. And I said, I am not going back to work till after he's a year old, the, the baby I was pregnant with. Mm-hmm. And you find a job because I don't want one anymore. <laughs> so that's how that's how it started. And then I, after he was about a year old, I went back part time to mm-hmm. doing different kinds of work, much more teaching, much more curriculum development, less research based. Because I had been doing rice genetic research, and you can't do that in the sort of part time way. I needed to do something. Mm-hmm. I did not miss it at all. It turned out once I had like sort of taken that clean break I was like wow there's so many other things you can do (laughs) (laughs) I like just not having like all my time accounted for which I think was the you know I had never as an adult not had all my time accounted for until then and I was even though I had like the little kids and stuff it felt just like very freeing to be like what do I want to do today you know (laughs) <laughs> well, I have to tell you, you've been extremely generous with your time. I feel I've already put notes in potential part two <laughs> interview. Um, okay. I, I come back, we, we've taken over an hour and a half of your time. So I, I, we don't want to take up too much more. Do you have like any parting words or for that new homeschool family, yeah, right? You, you, you have so much experience. What, oh, what would you tell them? See. What would I say? Give them the secret sauce. Give it, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think one thing that's really important is like, everybody's homeschool is going to be different. And if you're doing something that's really different from someone else and theirs is really successful, you probably don't need to try and do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, what you need to do is probably figure out how to make your thing really successful for you. Um, I will say the one thing that I've seen that's I've consistently seen from when I was a homeschooled student to like, I see it now all the time is people are really quick to quit a math curriculum that they think isn't working. And so I would say, if you think your math curriculum isn't working, just stick with it anyways, like stick with it because too often what happens is people have picked a math curriculum for really good reasons. And then it's hard. It's hard to teach and they don't know what they're doing because they don't remember because it was like a long time ago. And Teaching math is a whole skill set. Even if you can do third grade math, doesn't mean you can teach it. And their kids are crying. And so they switch to a new curriculum. And then, you know, that one doesn't make it easy. So they switch to a new curriculum. And then their kid is behind in math because they've switched a bunch of times. And they still don't know how to teach the curriculum because they keep switching. So I would say my advice is, you know, don't try and do somebody else's homeschool figure out what your own homeschool is and pick a math curriculum and then just like really stick with it. Give it a really solid try. 
you know, learn how to teach that curriculum well, as mm -hmm. opposed to constantly switching. I think those are those are good. Yeah, we hear that. <laughs> those we, would be my two pieces of advice. No, I, I think I think the switching thing is something we hear a lot. People yeah. will jump ship on something and and you know, I think especially with of, math. Sometimes yeah, it's okay with something else. Like mm -hmm. if yeah. if in elementary school you try three different science curriculums, it's fine. It's yeah. no big deal. But if you try three different math curriculums, probably nobody is learning math well, and you're probably not learning how to teach it well. And yeah. maybe it's best, even if it's not the best curriculum, to just pick one and stick it out. I mean, if it's really, really not working, it's okay to pick something else. But if you find you're switching a lot, it's probably not the curriculum. There's probably <laughs> something else you can change. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. that's I think that's good advice. It's, there's a lot of grass is greener too, especially yeah, yeah. one of the things we have now is so many amazing curriculums are available that yes. it's like squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, it's Something true. new and shiny and I want it. Like when 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 I was homeschooled, there were no options, especially for secular homeschooling. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, you did Saxon math and you did like pathways phonics and that was kind of it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you know? And so it's, it's nice that we have all the options, but I think sometimes um, if you find yourself cycling through a lot of things, it's probably not helping anybody. Thank I, you so much. Those are good words. Great. Of advice. I, I appreciate all your time. Yeah. There's so much to take in. We, we just loved <laughs> no having problem. you. And Thank I, you. I don't think anybody should um, feel like oh, you know, they're not doing enough or they should be doing what I'm doing or I'm homeschooling for a specific set of reasons that are not other people's reasons. And, mm -hmm. you know, um, the way that we do things are, it's not going to work for everybody. You know, I've, I have particular kids. If I had different kids, I would do different stuff. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, so. we, Errol and I were talking about this last night. The beauty of homeschool is that it's such a, um, it's such a, decentralized experience so everybody yeah. has their own little you know reasons and their yes. own methods and their own yeah. Yeah. You know, own Ex curriculums and what they exactly. want to choose to learn and everything and it's it can be a very big tent and it can There's be very everyone it can be different from one side of the house to the other side of the house but yes. you're right a lot of people do it for a lot of different reasons and you want to find the reasons that are right for your family and, and I, I do very different things with my different kids yeah, like, yeah exactly. you know I have one who you know is not super academically focused as far as math and reading he's my one who does piano and decided to learn mandarin that's all he did for kindergarten is mandarin and piano he did nothing else and yeah. it was fine I was like that's great like you know my other kids are like doing grammar in kindergarten and that was fine too but this kid had no interest even in first grade no interest whatsoever and that's fine <laughs> You know, there's a lot of right ways to do it. And what he needs is different than the older ones. So, yeah, I, I kind of love this discovery uh, path that we're on of finding what's right and what's right this year might not be the right thing next year, but um, mm -hmm. I, I, I love the, I love the journey just yes. as much as the destination. Yes. Well, thank you so much again. We, we just loved having you. Thanks for your time. And we really appreciate it. No problem. I've enjoyed your guys' podcast. It's always fun when new secular things pop up. And I'm like, oh, there's more secular podcasts to listen to while I'm running. Well, we're glad. Thank you. <laughs> All right. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. 
Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!